0: power radio presents the dr julie show all things connected break through the illusion of separation explore the infinite field of possibility and make connections that inspire now here's your host dr julie crawl
1: Hello and welcome everyone, you're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today we're going to take an interesting journey and look at the connection between a vegan lifestyle and curing climate change. Did you know there is one single industry destroying the planet more than any other? You might be wondering if fossil fuels, transportation, pesticides are, if you're trying to guess what comes to your mind, this one industry may not even enter your mind as the leading cause of climate change. I have learned so much from our guest today. He is brilliant. And despite the challenges we face on the planet, despite all we hear about what needs to be changed, our guest asks what if the world doesn't need to be changed he says the world just needs to be understood i love that and when we understand the world correctly we will change ourselves and the world will change as a result i invite you to take a few deep breaths bring your awareness into this moment open your mind connect with your heart and settle into your essential wholeness as i introduce our guest. Silas Rao is the founder and executive director of Climate Healers, a nonprofit dedicated towards healing the Earth's climate. He is the author of two books Carbon Dharma, The Occupation of Butterflies, and Carbon Yoga, The Vegan Metamorphosis. He is also the co executive producer of a trilogy of documentaries, each being The Human Experiment, Cowspiracy, and what the health? I love the title of that one. What the health? He's also working on a new project called the Compassion Project. And I'm really happy to bring his wisdom and knowledge to you, the listeners. Welcome, Silas.
2: Thank you for having me, Julie.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to have you here because I, I, I just I'm going to start with a confession, Silas. You know, I... I run with a pretty conscious crowd. I feel like I'm well read and informed on so many things. And this one topic has really opened my eyes to look at everything so different. So I'm really happy to bring this. I I feel kind of guilty. I feel kind of ignorant, but wow, just your materials and, and your work and your voice in the world is exquisite and so powerful and so important. So I'm happy to to really dig into this topic. But first, Silash, if you've never listened to my program, I do have a traditional first question, and I like to kind of ground our conversation into this bigger perspective. I think you'll like this first question. It is, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
2: Mm. All things connected, well, means that separation is a delusion. Hmm. That, uh, and it's something that our uh, ancestors have been telling us for so long. And um, it's difficult for us to live that, you know, even though we know in the back of our minds that it's probably true. Uh, that's what it means to me, that separation is a delusion and that we have to figure out how to overcome that delusion that is so strong in us.
1: Yeah. Let's let's start there because um, from my perspective, this delusion or illusion or whatever we want to call it um, really is at the root of so many different issues on our planet. And I I like to teach that. Um, to so many different kinds of audiences and, and different people, because most people don't think in those terms of, of systems and you are a systems expert. And when we look at this mindset or worldview or delusion that all things are separate, we behave differently. We, we Look at the world differently. And when we start understanding whether we're looking at it through spirituality or science now, which is starting to give us this clue um, and not even clue, real evidence of how connected we truly are with all things, um we begin to change our behavior. So do you see this this delusion as the root cause of some of our the climate change and and other problems we're having?
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, at the uh, Durban conference in, in COP 17, I think it was in 2011, uh, there were 40 interfaith leaders who got together, including Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And uh, we signed a declaration that included this two-sentence statement. It said, while climate change is a symptom, the fever that our earth has contracted, the underlying disease is the disconnection from creation that plagues human societies. And we, the undersigned, pledge to heal this disconnection by promoting and exemplifying compassion for all creation in all our actions. So it's something that everyone seems to recognize, You know that, that delusion is the cause of most of our environmental problems. And uh, fundamentally, I think that the delusion is something that we... We have persisted with because we don't have, we never had a good idea of where we fit in the ecosystems of the world, right? We can look at how elephants fit. We can look at how any other animal, you know their purpose, you know what they're doing and how it helps the whole ecosystem. But we never had an idea of where we fit as human beings. I think that's what caused that delusion to happen. Um, it is a very scientific worldview that um, that we can explain everything outside of us through scientific experiments, right? And in the process, we couldn't figure out where we fit.
1: Mm. That's a good point. I think, you know, just, in, and you bring up the scientific as well as the spiritual. And we, we talk about solving these problems and we really need that spiritual and cultural transformation. But if we don't know how we fit, how do we move toward solution?
2: Correct. Yeah, so that was my, you know, that was my biggest challenge when I started working on this um, 10 years ago. At first, I got so depressed you know, about what was going on in the environment that I couldn't see where we fit, and I couldn't see an explanation. And, uh, and I thought things were going from bad to worse in the environment. Um, but over the last five years, I've been working on this story that helps us fit, that helps us belong exactly as we are. So this way there is no need for us to blame anybody you know it's you don't have to shame anyone to change it is just understanding our place helps us figure out how we can move forward
1: well yes. and so what is that what is our place silish i would love to hear that i i love the what i brought up in the intro you know we're talking about understanding the world when we understand the world we will automatically change, and when we understand our place, I believe that to be true too. So, yeah how how do you explain that then? That just just as we are. What does that really mean?
2: <laughs> yeah, so that's the that's the whole book, uh, Carbon <laughs> Yoga. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, you know the explanation is actually um, relatively simple. You know, if you look at an elephant in the forest, and I you know I've been I was in this sanctuary in the Western Ghats of India and I learned how everything the elephant does helps that forest come back. So that sanctuary just happened because the animals came and dropped their seeds and, and whatever they did helped the forest come back. So all you had to do was to remove human beings from an area and the forest comes back, right? It's so beautiful. Yes. And everything the elephant did helped that forest. The elephant would go eat a jackfruit, which is a huge fruit. And then the seeds would come out of the other end of the elephant. Along with the seeds would come the manure for a new jackfruit tree to be born. The elephant would break a branch of a tree and eat the leaves and throw the branch away. And that created opening for sunlight to stream and nourish the underbrush. Uh, The elephant, wherever the elephant walked, that's where the underbrush gets trampled. And he creates a pathway in the forest. So other animals have to go where the elephant walked. They don't create their own pathways. So everything the elephant did helps the forest. But the elephant doesn't know that that's what the elephant is doing, right? So she's just doing her thing, and it helps the forest. So I was saying, there must be some way that we can explain that for ourselves. I mean, at first I didn't know this, and I was just sitting there getting depressed. <laughs> because. Yeah because the owner uh, pamela and anil they were a couple from uh, new jersey who went there and started this sanctuary and they told me that you know they just spend their time patrolling the land making sure that no human being comes inside so i felt like i don't belong in that forest right and i was born in that forest so i felt i felt very small as an individual at that point as a as a species also and and then a year later, when my granddaughter was born, I, I held her in my arms when she was a month old, and I felt the exact same sense of perfection that I felt at that sanctuary. So I knew that she must belong exactly as she is. So we all must belong exactly as we are. And we are not, we haven't understood the story. Right? So that's what I set out to find. So, the explanation I've come up with is you know, I mean, it's fairly complicated, but, but also simple. Yeah. We have to first understand, uh, we have to first um, buy into the axiom that the world is compassionate. Okay? So, yeah. compassion rules all. And if you buy into that axiom, the explanation will be that we are here to reduce suffering overall, in some way. So we are here exactly as we are, doing our thing, and somehow we are reducing suffering. And this is so hard to believe, knowing how much suffering we are causing. We are causing so much suffering to the farmed animals. We are causing so much suffering to wild animals. You know, it's um, it's, it's just mind-boggling, right? If you think about how many animals are being killed and... And tortured every day. But the explanation was that, that we are here to reduce suffering. Because over the last three million years, if you look at the, the paleolo- pale- paleontological record, um, the earth has gone through a lot of interglacial periods and glaciation. So it's gone through ice ages and interglacial periods. And every time it goes through that, there is a lot of suffering because animals have to uh, shrink. I mean, their their habitat shrinks, and then it expands over time. So there's a lot of migration that has to happen, and ecosystems have to change. So this has been going on for the last 3 million years. And our carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere were oscillating between 180 parts per million and 280 parts per million. Okay, And that's a very low level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, if you look at the past, you know, say 100 million years ago or 250 million years ago, we we have evidence that the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere were much more, like thousands of parts per million. So it has been coming down over time, the CO2 in the atmosphere has been coming down over time, because over time, the sun has been getting hotter and hotter. So life has been trying to figure out how do you keep the same environment for life to flourish? And so she's been shedding off her CO2 blankets, so to speak. And over the last three million years, she's gone through this gyration between um, the interglacial period and the glaciation. And over the last 10,000 years, in this current interglacial period, magically, the temperature stayed constant and the CO2 levels also stayed constant. Roughly the same at 280 parts per million until about 150 years ago. So you say, well, you know, how did that happen? If you go back and look at what, what really happened over the last 10,000 years, human beings have been destroying forests and um, raising a lot of animals. And in the process, we have been taking the carbon that's sequestered in the form of trees and sending that up into the atmosphere. So if our ancestors hadn't been doing all that, we have scientific evidence to show that we would have gone back to another ice age 5,000 years ago. But our ancestors, by deforestation, they kept the temperature constant. They kept the, the um, CO2 levels constant. And over the last 150 years, we have taken it up a notch in the Industrial Revolution. So we have increased the CO2 emissions by burning fossil fuels and also deforestation. And in the process, we have raised the CO2 levels in the atmosphere to about 400 parts per million, a little over 400 now, okay? And it does, Look like you know we are messing up, but in the process, over the last hundred fifty years, we have developed all the technology, all the tools, and all the consciousness that we need to figure out how to keep this temperature constant without deforestation. In fact, by bringing back the animals, so we now have everything we need. We need to create the Garden of Eden back again bring it back again. Mm. Yeah? And so then we become like this thermostat species on the planet. We are the ones who have control over the thermostat. And uh, Jim Hansen, you know, who is one of the foremost climate scientists in the world, he said something offhand um, a few years ago that triggered my, this whole thought process in me. He said, the Earth will never go into another ice age until human beings disappear, and I said, "Aha! Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> well, tried, right? So yeah. that's our purpose. You know, that's so we fit, we belong, we have a purpose. We have been doing something unconsciously, just like the elephant routinely does something unconsciously that helps the ecosystem. We have been doing something unconsciously to help the ecosystem, and now we have to carry on." And we have to, so, and we did the, all this for all of them, not for us alone. We did it for all the animals of the world.
1: Okay. So this, let me just pause here because I think this is an important point that obviously we don't hear in mainstream, but we also don't hear this with a lot of activists and and others who are working on, on climate change because there's this blessing um, if, if our purpose is reducing suffering by helping the ecosystem, helping the animals and not going back into Ice Age, that, there's the blessing, right? We, can, right? we can co-create heaven on earth here and help stabilize this ecosystem. And yet there's a however, right? There's the second mm-hmm. part of this, of what we need to do to stop deforest, deforestation, that's so right. important. What's the next part of that? <laughs> as so a thermostat, we are the thermostat. Right.
2: right, so we are the thermostat. So now, you know, um, we have to tell a story. So we live by stories as human beings. Yeah. We are, um, you know, we buy into common stories, and based on those common stories, we act. And so we need to tell a story where we are going to, you know, we understand the world. We understand the world. And as a result of that, we are going to change automatically, right? So the story I use is the, the it's a metamorphosis. It's, um, it's the analogy of the caterpillar turning to the butterfly. Yeah. Because the caterpillar is a blind consumer. He doesn't know what he is doing. The, he wakes up. You know, he comes out of the egg and then he eats the shell of the egg he came out of. Then he eats the leaf that the egg was on. And then over the next two weeks, he's a voracious consumer eating every leaf he sees. And then he stops. Then he's too big for his skin. And if you think about us, us as human beings, we are too big for our skin at the moment. The earth, yeah. you know, cannot tolerate us doing what we are doing now forever. I mean, it's we are already facing the the consequences of what we are doing to the environment. So we are too big for our skin, just like the caterpillar. When he gets too big for his skin, he stops. He builds a cocoon around himself, so he puts a limit on how much he can do within. And within the caterpillar, you know, amazing things begin to happen. New cells are born called imaginal cells. And at first, the caterpillar's immune system thinks that these imaginal cells don't belong. So it fights them. But the imaginal cells become more and more numerous. So I consider all of the social justice activists and especially the animal rights activists as imaginal cells that are being born in our system. You know, the people who are going vegan, people who are fighting for uh, racial equality, for LGBT equality. I mean, these are all our imaginal cells. They're saying, no, the current system, the caterpillar system, needs to change. So at first, the The powers that be fight the imaginal cells saying, you know, you don't belong in this system. But then over time, the imaginal cells become more and more numerous, and the caterpillar's immune system gives up. So then the imaginal cells clump together, they form different organs of the butterfly. And when the butterfly is born, she's a very discriminating consumer. She only sips nectar from flowers and in the process she pollinates the flowers regenerating life undoing the damage that happened in the caterpillar phase and we see the same thing happening now you know so the imaginal cells are getting more and more numerous so they are building vegan restaurants for us they are saying okay you know you, you are part of our system you are part of us so you do belong and then as we become more and more numerous we are going to clump together and figure out how are we going to bring back the Eden that we lost. We have the seeds for the new Eden, I mean, you know, because we, have, we still have some elephants left. We still have a lot of animals still left. So we need to use those to, to be the seeds for the future. And as we bring back the forest, we will sequester all that excess carbon that's in the atmosphere down on the ground. And so we will halt biodiversity loss. We will reverse ecosystems collapse, and we'll reverse climate change. These are the three major environmental problems that the UN identified in 1992. So we can work on all three of them simultaneously by doing this.
1: Yeah, so say those three again for our listeners, just so we can really imprint that in our minds. Personally, as, as we're all waking to what is ours to do and how, how we can be a part of that reducing suffering, what are those three again?
2: So the three major environmental problems the UN identified were biodiversity loss, which is the loss of all wild animals and the biodiversity of the planet, The second is ecosystems collapse, which is ecosystems just dying off and then turning into deserts. So the desertification. And the third was climate change. Mm. So they formed three major conventions at the UN. The Convention on Biological Diversity and the UN Convention to Combat Desertification. And the third was the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So the first two conventions have been meeting, but they're meeting once every two years, and we hardly get any news about what they are doing. Right? Uh, th- this is because the, the, news, um, the news media only pays attention to what people want to hear, right? What, people affect, what is affecting people right now is climate change. Yeah. The, the biodiversity loss doesn't affect us directly, unless you're living there. Right? If you're living in the Amazon, it affects you because people are coming and raising down the Amazon. So your home is disappearing. But those people don't read newspapers. They don't listen to TV. Right? So we don't hear about that. We don't hear about desertification because it happens to communities that are very poor who don't read newspapers, who don't listen to TV. So we only hear about climate change. And it makes it seem like that's the only environmental problem on Earth. In fact, there are so many of them. So if you look at it as in totality, you will realize that changing what we eat is so much more fundamental than changing how we drive.
1: And that is such a simple statement that I think most people will probably want to hit rewind and hear you say that again and go, what? No, seriously, what we eat can affect us and climate change so much more than what we drive. So one of the things that you've done in the documentaries and in the books is, is really talked about um, even the the first two, the biodiversity loss and ecosystems, where you've shown where we began to do domestic agriculture. And so in these bands where people started raising agriculture, they're deserts now. it's It's just an amazing it's an amazing thing to think about it like that. So um, what? you know, after our break, we'll we'll talk a lot more about solutions and and literally veganism and and how that can really change. But let's talk about how our agriculture has changed literally, this biodiversity and the ecosystem as well.
2: Yes. If you look at the Sahara Desert, it starts at the western edge of Africa, and it goes all the way into India as the um, Tar Desert. It goes all the way into China as the Gobi Desert. And it's one contiguous desert. And if you think about it, that's where the ancient civilizations of the world were. You know, the Egyptian civilization, the Babylonian, Sumerian, Persian, Indus Valley civilization... Chinese civilization. So wherever, you know, wherever civilizations happened, forests became deserts. Okay. So it's, uh, this is why I say that the, the way we live, the way we um, raise animals and, and, and eat them is fundamental to what is happening in the environment. And I, I'll give you evidence from what I found in Rajasthan, where I went to to study the edge of the Tar Desert, where the, the desert is moving. I wanted to understand, how is it moving? And uh, so that helped me understand exactly what was going on, you know?
1: Mm. You know, you have pulled together really a, a incredible body of research and information that makes it easy for us to see this issue. And um, it, it really, once you are awake to it, how can we not... Um, how can we not act on that? So, one of the questions that you you are one of the solutions is changing how we eat, and I can't wait to really dig into that with you after the break, and and really talk about what everyone listen everyone listening can can do really simple changes and major lifestyle changes. But but there's so much that you're giving us solutions for. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, so much more with Silas Rao. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Nonstop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app music to empower your meditation help you relax sleep or provide a calm background while you work the empower meditation channel is interruption free listen now with the empower radio app free in the app store or listen online at empower.fm soothe your soul calm your mind the empower meditation
0: channel wildfires burn millions of acres across the country each year and each year Wildland firefighters battle to contain them, but they can't do it alone. For some communities, it's not a question of if wildfires strike, but when. And a single ember can travel more than one mile. As it twists and turns and floats through the air, that single ember can find its way to where you live and can ignite and destroy your home or your community. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. You can't control where the ember will land, but you can control what happens when it does. You can take action now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. Get Fire Adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. Prepare, protect, prevail. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org.
3: REMA teams, welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times and found something I like even more than me treasure. Tis the ocean, beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers, thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? The plastic bag by Blackbeard's eye patch, That's disgusting. Why did you know that many of these things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground? It'd be true. Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's gotta dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? Uh, All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! (laughs) Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy at keepoceansclean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck for Dave 2037 so he can buy anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. What are you getting Steve 2037? Steve 2037 will be just fine. Okay, but don't expect to borrow my anti-gravity boots.
1: Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to
2: feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org.
3: This message brought to you by the American
0: Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council.
2: Positively uplifting. This is Empower Radio.
0: Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio.
1: Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website, at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links, as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected, where we continue the conversation. I always love to hear from you. And I'm sure Silas will as well. You can find Silas at climatehealers.com. Org. Again, that's climatehealers.org. You'll find his books there, the the documentaries there, and what they're doing to help affect change on the planet. Silas, right before break, we were talking about um, the solution of changing how we eat. And I, I just want to pause before we go there and just acknowledge your website and the organization, being climate healers. And I just want to really emphasize healers because we're not talking about just holding things together as long as we can here. To heal is to make whole again. And if we're coming from that perspective that, that all things are connected, that there's this delusion of separation here, uh, I love how you use the word healers because this really is solutions that can make a big difference. In And like you said, to create heaven on earth again, bring back that beautiful earth that we all know is possible. So yeah, thanks for that. So healing our climate and healing our planet. um, Let me just begin with your voice of compassion, because so many voices out there are voices of fear and alarm. And um, for myself as a healer, and working with with individuals and groups, so often fear just brings us into this um, paralytic you know, state of being. It's like we shut down, we constrict, we don't know what to do, the problem's too big, and, and fear paralyzes. And when you're coming from this compassionate place, your voice is so encouraging and uplifting, and really your solutions... That you offer do create real change and healing. So, so number one, thanks for that. But as you think about these solutions as healing, um, what's what can we do? What can our listeners do today to make a difference and make change that really matters?
2: So the number one thing I ask people, I mean, I tell people is that changing what we eat. is uh, is the single most powerful act that we can do today to heal the climate. Um, I was at a a school in Marrakesh, Morocco, and I was talking to high school students, about 250 of them, and I asked them, so how many of you are vegan? And only one child raised his hand. No? Then I asked them, so how many of you would deliberately hurt an innocent animal unnecessarily. And nobody raised their hands. So I told them, by definition, all of you are vegan. Except for most of you, who you are and what you do are not in alignment. That is the separation within us that's happening. Okay? Yeah. So, so once you realize that, he said, you know, you have compassion at the very core of your being because you are made in the image of God. If you believe in a God that's compassionate, that's who you are. So we are all coming home to who we really are because we are done with our work. We, we got deluded into being separated. And in the process, we built all this technology. You know? And now we are being asked, called to come home to bring back the Eden that we lost. And we didn't, you know, it's still there. The seeds are still there for the new Eden that we can create. Mm. So this is a process. This is yoga, this is union, right? Bringing back that which is separated together again. And so the most important thing you can do to do that is to go vegan, which is to come into alignment with who you really are.
1: So that, that sounds really simple and mm-hmm. our world, we, we still are, so many are still in this mass consciousness of this delusion that we're talking about and, and in their caterpillar stage doing the consumption thing we're, we're mm-hmm. it, it's there. So those that are tuning in that go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to consider that there's one path for them. And what do we do with the others? So let's talk about the path for those that say, okay, um, I can look at veganism. I can I can make a difference. What what resources, tools, you're talking about these imaginal cells We're opening vegan restaurants, but really, um, our culture here in the West, we don't know how to cook vegan. We really, don't do a really good job. I mean, it's like raw foods or or like what a lot of people will say that when they think vegan. Like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Cut out all meat products. So, how easy is it to for those that are listening today and considering? How easy is it for them to make this lifestyle transition? What can they
2: do? So, so it is. Um, I mean, first of all, it has to come from within you. You know, if you want to do it, right? Then, yeah. Then. Then you will find the resources. They are there. I mean the internet is, I don't know, ten million recipes for vegans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I have
1: several flooded. vegan cookbooks, yes.
2: Right. It's flooded with resources. And see, because we live in a time of abundance. You know, compared to the way Gandhi and others used to live a hundred years ago. Gandhi couldn't go vegan, by the way. He tried to go vegan several times and he failed. And Gandhi had so much self-control and discipline, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't do it because that was not the right time. He didn't have access to a wide variety of foods around him, so he had to eat whatever was growing around him. And so he had to supplement his food with some milk or some dairy so that he gets the remaining nutrients that he was missing in that food. Whereas today we have access to lots of varieties of food in our supermarkets. So we are the first generation that has this possibility of going vegan. And it is the one thing that we can do now to help the planet. Because right now, our population alone, okay, is um, 7.5 billion people. And uh, if you assume 68 kgs average weight per person, So that's about 500 million metric tons in total weight of human beings alone. You know, in comparison, all the wild animals from 10,000 years ago put together, we estimate them to be 200 million metric tons. So we are overwhelming the planet with our population alone. And on top of that, we we are extracting five times as much food for our Farmed animals as we do for ourselves. So I use the analogy of a weightlifter who's lifting five times his weight above his head. He discovers that he's on quicksand and he's sinking. So, what is the first thing he should do, knowing his weight alone is too much for the quicksand to bear? Right? So, this is an emergency. We are in an emergency. I mean, all this alarm that you hear about climate change and about biodiversity loss, there's more you know, if you are only hearing the alarm about climate change, but I know what is going on in biodiversity loss and I know what's going on in ecosystems collapse. And I think it is far worse. Mm. So we are in an emergency, just like we were in an emergency in World War Two, And we all got together and we did something, right? Everybody did something about it. So we are in a similar, much bigger emergency right now and we have to do something. So we are all being called woken up and called to come home to who we really are, which is to be compassionate to all life, compassion for all creation. That is the only solution out. But that's such a beautiful solution. And when we accomplish this, and I think we're going to accomplish this within the next nine years, by the way.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope so.
2: And when we accomplish this, it will be the greatest story that we ever told. Mm. It'll be so beautiful, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: The new Eden. You know, I just want to back up for just a moment and put an exclamation point on this idea that we are using way more resources, um, land and water resources, to feed the agriculture that feeds us. Way more. That's what, that's what our science is showing us. That's what the numbers and statistics are showing us. Correct. That's what you just said.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if people really just, just really allow themselves to open to that reality, what would happen with us not consuming those resources? It's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. You're, you're, your documentaries are incredible. These books are amazing. And they, they help us really to shift our understanding of this whole system the way we did. So, okay, so here's, the, here's these interested advocates. They're tuning in. They're going, okay, I can consider this. Is reducing animal consumption enough?
2: Is that enough? Yeah. Well, uh, people are going to go through their own stages. Okay? I don't tell people, you, you all have to go to zero right away. Everyone has their own path. We are all unique, you know, and we, we are coming home to who we really are. So I tell people, yes, go ahead and reduce your consumption initially. It's fine, but don't lose sight of the end goal. The end goal is to come home to who you really are. Who you really are is compassion at the very core of your being. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're not in alignment with that, As long as you are causing some deliberate suffering to other beings, you will be suffering. You will suffer and you will cause suffering to others unnecessarily. So the only end point where you will stop is when you go completely vegan, okay? Then you know that you are, you know, you're doing the best you can. You have minimized your suffering, so you can be sure of that, right? And and then we'll figure out how are we going to change our whole system, because our system is based on consumption. So we get about 3,500 ads every day, okay, telling us to consume something or the other. And they're telling us a story that consumption is the only way to happiness. And we know that's not true. We all know that, because the richest country in the world, you know, in the US, 51% of the people are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication or on uh, or on illegal drugs on a regular basis. This is not a happy country when you have some statistics like that, you know? So we know there is a better way to live. We know that this is not, the, what they're telling us is not true. So we have to change from the caterpillar to the butterfly. So the system has to change as well. And there are a lot of people working on different aspects of this already. Yeah. It just has to come together, you know?
1: well i d- i do want to um just yeah, pause into that and go, there are a lot of resources. There are many individuals and organizations, um, on every continent working on these solutions. So we do have these solutions right in front of us. And many of our listeners are those people, you know, they're, they're excited about, um, our potential and invested and passionate about our potential. And so so here's the other half of that question, Silas, that I want to bring back is what about those who are simply not aware yet? How, what is our strategy and what can we do to mm. affect mass consciousness now?
2: Right. You know, I, I use, um, I, I look at the example of Gandhi, the so Mahatma Gandhi 100 years ago. He uh, He came to India and he wanted to free India from the British colonial rule. So he traveled the country, went to villages, talked to people, and then he came up with a simple plan. He asked people to change their clothes, from British clothes to khadi clothes, cotton clothes made by Indians in India. He convinced people by just walking around and talking to people and just, you know, having meetings here and there. And he got enough people He got enough citizen educators, so to speak, who would then go out and talk to others. And he turned that into a movement that had the British Empire on its knees within 12 years. If he can do that, riding around in a bullock cart, can we not do this? Because right now, it's the same sort of thing we need to do around the world, which is change what we eat. Not about changing what we wear. But we have access to to the internet. We have access to all this technology that allows us to share, to tell stories, so that lots of people can listen to us right away. We should be able to spread this message much, much faster than what Gandhi did. Right? If he could do it in 12 years, I'm saying we have nine years to do this. We have to do this within the next nine years, because the rate at which we are killing wild animals now they will disappear by 2026. Because 52% of all wild vertebrates disappeared between 1970 and 2010. And 58% disappeared between 1970 and 2012. So those are statistics from the World Wildlife Fund. You can look it up, it's on the Living Planet Report. So we are losing them at about 3% per year. Which means this is 2017. So I estimate that 73% are gone by now. So if we wait too long, we're going to lose the seed that we need for the New Eden to be born. So we have to do this very quickly. And um, so convince, so I I want to first talk to the vegans themselves. I want to strengthen our community, the vegan community. And empower them to go out and be citizen educators. Because every vegan, you know, we are spread out throughout the world. It's, we, are, we are from every part of, I mean, there are, there are vegans who are poor, who are rich, who are black, white, pink, every color you want. You know, we, have, so we are all over the world. We, we are from every part of every possible religion, every possible nationality. And we have tremendous reach. If we just go and talk to people, we know. Okay? And, well, and once people hear the story, they all want to do something. Nobody wants to destroy the planet and say, go off to Mars. I mean, what are we, stupid? We have to just, t- when we tell the story that we belong exactly as we are, and we are doing the right thing, we have been doing the right thing all along, there's nothing to blame, no one to blame. You know? It's just a different story we tell where we belong exactly as we are, and in the process, we are going to change within the next nine years. Um, and we are being forced to change also. So this is part of the alarmism that's going on at, at the same time. We are called to change.
1: Yeah. Uh, Seylish, um I'm, I'm wondering about this organized effort of vegans coming together. Um, and and just thinking about all the resources for climate change right now are, are really targeted at, you know, fossil fu- fuels consumption and right. and recycle, repurpose, you know, reuse. So we're looking at a lot of other direction and and I'm imagining that a lot of those resources, if shifted, could make a big difference. Talking about yeah. vegan as a solution as well.
2: Right. You know, a lot of resources are, because the way we tell the story right now is based on keeping the caterpillar system the same. So if the caterpillar is saying, I don't want to change, I want to remain a caterpillar, I want to keep growing forever, then how would you tell that story? You would tell what what they're telling you, which is, it's about fossil fuels, okay? If it's only a fossil fuels, then you become disempowered. You cannot do anything yourself. Because you have to go to work, you know, you have to do your thing, and you don't want to go change your car. And you know that even an electric car has a lot of fossil fuels behind it, right, because to make the electric car. Yeah. So, so you feel disempowered and you say, well, you know, I'm going to just trust our leaders to do something for me. The story of veganism is disruptive to the caterpillar. The caterpillar system will never promote it right away. It has to be forced into it from the ground up. Mm. So as more and more people turn vegan, the caterpillar is going to say, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> my, my system of growth is disappearing in front of my eyes. So therefore, let me figure out how to make this work. So then all those resources will come into play for us. Yeah. Initially, it is about growing the vegan movement. The vegan movement is growing for several reasons. It's not just the environment. It's also growing for animal rights. And it's also growing for human health. Because we have poured so many toxins and poisons into the environment and they are getting concentrated in animal foods and they come back to us in animal foods we eat. You know, so it is becoming more and more hazardous to eat animal foods for our own health. Yeah. And all time, It's only going to get worse, right?
1: Well, so, so I, I want to just say yes to our health. Yes, there's, there's all kinds of research that's, that's showing us about our health. Animal rights, yes. But then I'm going to go back to your other two problems, issues, challenges we have with the biodiversity loss and mm-hmm. ecosystem collapse. If we move to veganism, we're sure to really enhance and affect both of those as well. Is that, is that not right?
2: Absolutely. So we did a calculation. So we said, okay, if we take, if the whole world goes vegan today, right, immediately I just wave a wand and, you know, everybody goes vegan. How much carbon can be sequestered in recovering forests? Because a lot of land will become, you know, available for us to bring back the forests. So we estimate that at least 35% of the land area of the planet that's currently being used to graze animals will become available for reforestation. And on that land, if we just return the original forest that used to exist there in 1800, we calculate that we can sequester 265 gigatons of carbon, which is more than the 240 gigatons of carbon we've added to the atmosphere since 1750. So we literally can reverse climate change. So -hmm. we did that calculation. And if the forest comes back, obviously the animals will come back too. there'll be more space for them to run around you know so so all our ecosystems we can regenerate the eden back and in the process solve all of our environmental problems and heal the planet and simultaneously heal ourselves Mm. and come into alignment with who we really are
1: beautiful beautiful so really we're the importance of our biodiversity for our health is important. The, the the importance of this ecosystem that we have is a part of us all being whole again. I, I love this conversation. I wish we had so much more time and we don't, but Silas, we have just a two minutes here and I want to make sure if there's anything else that you really wanted to say that you didn't get to say in a minute or less to our listeners, what would that be?
2: Oh, you know, I, you have covered so much, you know, I, um, for me, this was a journey back to faith. Mm. So have faith that there is compassion that's ruling the world that there is an infinite compassion at play, and you are all part of it. We are all part of it. We come to it with different languages, with different stories, with different religions, but it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it is compassion, the very core of our being, and it's at the very core of all life. Have faith that that's true, and then you will see things will change.
1: Beautiful. Wow, beautiful. Thank you for that, Silas. This has been really an important conversation that I'm honored to have with you. And again, I just want to thank you for your work and your voice with this entire topic in the world. It is is so needed and it is the perfect time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Julie, for having me. Mm,
1: You are welcome. And again, this is Silas Rao we've been talking with. You can find so much more about him and his work at climatehealers.org. And I just want to bring his beautiful words back to you as a closing to really come home to who you really are. I love that sentence. Thank you. And compassion is at our core. So now is our time to journey back to faith. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show. I am Dr. Julie Kroll. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. And remember together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. (sniffs) you <sniffs>